Hi-ho, this is Jordan, and I'm ready to dive right back into the part two of my Star Wars-themed podcast. Last episode, Alyssa and I discussed our exposure to the original Star Wars films and our first-hand accounts of experiencing the prequels. It only took a few years for us to realize that episodes one through three were the worst, while Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi were, and always will be, the best. Okay, maybe Return of the Jedi has some problems, but we'll get to that later. I always think of that quote from Dante. All Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. I, of course, meant Dante from Kevin Smith's debut movie Clerks and not the Italian poet. Anyway, in part two of our conversation, Alyssa and I give our takes on Lucasfilm's Star Wars Special Edition re-releases, our favorite YouTube video review series on the worst Star Wars films, and the general state of the Star Wars franchise today. Alyssa and I will also heavily discuss a local resident who currently resides in my hometown. I'd sometimes have to drive by this guy's house. My family even knew some people who knew him. I won't say who he is, but he did direct Star Wars. You might as well call him George Lucas. I mean, that's who directed Star Wars. It's true. George Lucas and his movies are so inextricably tied to the exact place I grew up that there are statues of Yoda and Indiana Jones in the downtown park. I've only seen George Lucas in public twice. When I was seven, I saw him reading a magazine at a Walden Books, and he had to uncomfortably respond to a fan who said, Are you George Lucas? If you've seen that robot chicken sketch he appeared in, it was pretty much that. <gasps> you're George Lucas! Uh, I take it you're here for the Star Wars convention. I saw him another time when I was 11, where he cheered on his very tall son at a high school basketball game. More recently, a very good friend of mine saw him peek at the Star Wars Force Awakens merchandise at a Barnes & Noble. My friend figured he could have snapped a photo of him and got that on the front page of Reddit, but thankfully he resisted. All this is to say is that George Lucas is a human being. Despite some of the barbs Alyssa and I make about his movies, we are not Lucas bashers, we just like talking about films. I would like to dedicate this episode to Tom Forster, the late Marin County Fire Chief deemed instrumental to the development of the Skywalker Ranch. In 2017, Tom, despite having never met me, and having lost touch with my family about 20 years earlier, generously gave my mom, brother, and myself a tour of a lifetime at the very famous Skywalker Ranch. He would pass away one year later, and I owe him my sincere gratitude for connecting with us. Please be sure to look at the show notes for this episode to learn more about Tom, and to learn more about what Alyssa and I go over. Now then, whether you're listening to this podcast at a regular speed, hyperspeed, or even ludicrous speed, Let's get back into it with Alyssa. So we've gone from the stage of we are the easily distracted, easily won over, idealistic, naive kids who buy into the prequels in their marketing. We go from that into, hey, weren't the original films better? To, hey, everyone who criticized the prequels, they were totally right. To this next step, which is we realize like, hey, you know what's going to save us is this guy who's made it his own personal project to de-specialize the Star Wars films. And we're going to explain what that is in just a moment. And the fact that the internet, for all its awfulness, actually brings some pretty creative, hilarious critiques. If you wouldn't mind, I just want to explain what the de-specialization, what that even means. Yes, of course. 
a person in the year 2020, and it's going to remain the way probably for the rest of our lifetimes, cannot view the original Star Wars trilogy movies in their original form as they appeared when they were released in the theaters. You can't see it that way. You can only view Lucas's many versions, which have added CG, inserted previously deleted scenes, different sound and music mixes, and like color grading, and other types of modifications. Basically, he just smeared shit like all over the screen and was like, yep, that's it. That's all you're getting. (laughs) In the mid-90s, with the VHS releases of the original films, they actually warned you like, hey, this is the last time you're going to get to see the films this way. Because by 1997, when the Star Wars 20-year anniversary happened, they re-released the films into theaters and each film had these types of modifications in it. Among the worst changes are Han no longer shoots first. It's now Greedo, the bounty hunter who threatened him, shoots first and then Han shoots the exact next frame. And his digitalized head moves like a fraction of an inch to the <laughs> to the left. And I totally forgot last year when the movies were released to Disney Plus, Greedo just says McClunky as he fires that <laughs> shot. He does. Yes. McClunky. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... No idea. Other terrible changes included, like, okay, yeah, there's CG obscuring the screen where there was nothing before. There's a not-so-good scene where Han Solo speaks to Jabba the Hutt in the original Star Wars, and... Oh, that one's bad. It doesn't belong in the movie. I think one of the most laughable elements was, like, episode 6, Return of the Jedi. They spend close to a million dollars to insert this unnecessary scene where Max Rebo, the house musician for Jabba the Hutt, does this extended musical number. Oh my gosh, yes. It's so bad. But actually, I think the first one that I really noticed as a kid was we had the VHS copies originally, yeah. so I didn't see any of the... They're called these special editions, right? If right, yeah. No, so that's what all this is called. The special editions, they're first released into theaters, then on VHS. They made more changes in 2004 when they were finally released onto DVD. And then right. 2011, they add even more with the Blu-ray releases. And like this time, the Ewoks blink and Darth Vader does another no as he throws emperor palpatine down the shaft oh good they needed that (laughs) ties it all in but sorry you were saying Uh, no no i just i remember on our vhs copies they were before 1997 i would assume because they weren't the special editions but then you know when our vhs player eventually died we got a dvd player and got all of the movies on dvd and i remember seeing those new scenes and just not understanding why they were there Like the Moss Eisley part where they're driving in on Luke's speeder. That's probably the worst scene, yeah. It is so bad. It makes me want to rip my eyes out. (laughs) Or at least skip past it. It's just so unneeded. Yeah, and I think this is the real injustice, is that George Lucas, in the late 80s, he was one of many famed filmmakers who goes to Congress to testify 
his exact words are something of those who alter or destroy works of art for profit are barbarians. These filmmakers were basically going after people like Ted Turner who were taking film classics they owned like Casablanca and putting them into color and it was so bad. And they were just scared like these films that mean so much to people that affect entire generations that are artistic works of culture. We need to make sure there's a method to preserve them for history, for research, for entertainment. People can always access them. And I can forgive George Lucas for everything he did wrong with the prequels. Even the things that don't really quite add up in the original movies. Because you know what? He was a hardworking filmmaker. He did things I'll never accomplish. So I don't want to be yet another armchair critic. I do yeah. resent though that he made sure that despite all his words about we can't be destroying or altering works of art he makes it so you can't see the original star wars films as they were originally seen and the worst part is when star wars and i guess eventually the empire strikes back were selected for preservation from the national film registry which is something that george lucas's testimony ensued the creation of an arm in the library of congress to preserve films they come to him it's like hey we need an original print of star wars lucas films reaction is is you can take the special edition or fuck off. No way. This is the core sentiment to anyone's like, well, so what? They're his movies. He can do whatever he wants. He can, but he just doesn't have the right to make it so you can't see the version you want to see. And for comparison, one of my very favorite movies is Blade Runner. There's so many terrible iterations of the film because of studio interference. First, there was the director's cut. Then there was the final cut in 2007. They make it so, hey, if you liked those older movies, go watch them. They're included for no extra charge on your DVD. And even Steven Spielberg, do you know E.T.? They made that awful change where the cops hold walkie-talkies instead of yes! guns at climactic Yes! Oh my scene. gosh! E.T. the Extraterrestrial, the new redone version for 2002. All the E.T. effects have been digitally upgraded. All the guns have been digitally changed to walkie-talkies. And the word terrorist has been changed to hippie. Well, first of all, Steven Spielberg, he apologized. He's like, you know what? With the exception of like color grading or like sound correction, I am not altering any of my films like that ever again. Steven Spielberg went on record for saying like, first of all, I tell people they want to know which should I watch, the 1982 version of E.T. or the 2002 20th anniversary re-release version. I say watch the original. And when I made the re-release, I made it that you could still watch the original for no extra charge when you like like bought it on VHS tape. See, I don't understand why they didn't do that with the Star Wars movies where you had that option of, all right, if I want to see the special edition, then I'll select that on the menu. And if I don't, then I just won't get those extra scenes and I know that and I'm happy with that. Yeah, and the interviewer, I think it was from Ain't It Cool News, they asked Steven Spielberg, well, why can't you talk to George Lucas about this? And he's like, I can't. <laughs> Aren't you guys friends? <laughs> yeah, no, he's like, that's my friend George. It's his movies. That's his choice. I guess it sounds kind of silly to be like sitting here bitching about having like special effects added to a movie, but I don't know. I think you bring up a good point about the preservation of film and respecting the original intent behind the whole creative team and how this just shows that that wasn't happening in this case. 
I think it's kind of rooted in the principle. It's like when you're a creator, once you put something out there, even though it was your work, your efforts, then it becomes everyone else's for them to interpret and use. Yeah, I know that's a huge debate too, like authorial intent versus audience interpretation and whether you can separate media from the author that created it. There's a huge debate around that. Yeah, so that begs the question, a Star Wars fan who's like, well, I'd really like to watch the original movie, where can I see it? For a while, the answer was, well, after the 2004 DVD release, they did another one in 2006, and they put as a special feature the original unaltered movies, but they looked terrible, they weren't made for modern TVs, like there was no work put in them at all. So the answer to what do I do is you go find Harmies Despecialized, movies this guy he was a fan of star wars he taught himself film editing and color correction <laughs> he had to do so much work just to take out all the extra cg to wow. make the frames look right and the result is beautiful you see the movie as it was intended to be that's fantastic he's doing the lord's work <laughs> i think so his name i'm gonna mispronounce it is peter harm harmack he's from the czech republic Thank you, Peter. Yeah, yeah, we owe you a big thanks. But that leads us to the next part. We had one medium that was essential for preserving the integrity of the original films. So what do we get to relish in to really process how awful the prequel films are? Alyssa, you know I brought you on because we love with a burning passion this man, Mr. Plinkett. Star Wars The Phantom Menace was the most disappointing thing since my son. I mean, how much more could you possibly fuck up the entire backstory to Star Wars? The unfortunate reality of the Star Wars prequels is that they'll be around. Forever. They will never go away. I think Mr. Plinkett and Red Letter Media and the prequel, like, dissection films were the reason that we first started talking, Jordan. Like, I actually, I think that's my first memory of us. We were, like, in our college dorm and I was watching it on my phone or something and you saw me and we started talking about it and that's part of why we became friends. So they're very nostalgic in their own way. Hey, idiots. Have you ever heard of carbon monoxide? It's odorless and colorless. Your wife won't even know what hit her. So Red Letter Media is a YouTube channel, but it's also a production company of independent filmmakers consisting of Mike Stocklassa, Jay Bauman, and then occasional contributions we've seen from Rich Evans. And almost all their videos are just film reviews, but they know that the reason people really love them is because starting in 2009, they invent this character named Mr. Plinkett who reviews 70 minutes per Star Wars film how awful each Star Wars prequel film is. So it started with 2009, he did Phantom Menace. Shortly thereafter, there was Attack of the Clones, and then they did Revenge of the Sith. And Mr. Plinkett, even though he's the fictional character, a persona created by the people behind Red Letter Media, voiced by Mike Staglassa, how would you describe Mr. Plinkett? Truly horrible person. I mean, the joke is that he's just like a horrible, wife-murdering, cat-fucking, horrible, horrible person. Right, but I think the most egregious form of torture he inflicts on the people he kidnaps is he makes them watch the Star Wars prequels. From start to finish, yes. <laughs> it's tongue-in-cheek. We're supposed to laugh that, like, he casually alludes to murder, to kidnap, to other crimes. There's some serious thoughtful criticism that's put on the movies and 
like the reason I knew this guy was on to something besides me just laughing at like the really inappropriate stuff is they point out Phantom Menace these characters you see Qui-Gon Jinn Obi-Wan Kenobi the young version Padme Amidala how do you even describe them like right they have no so character bland. I think he asks describe their characters other than describing like their appearance and just none of them have a character when you really sit down and look at it. And then he contrasts that with the original trilogy, like describe Han Solo and they're like rogue, scum, heart of gold. And then describe Qui-Gon. Uh, well, he's serious. Like, that's it. One thing he brought up where it's like, oh my god, I knew this to be true the entire time and I never voiced this until now. What do you know about Darth Maul? What is his point in the movies? Because when I was a kid, when I was six, I was like, there is no cooler villain than Darth Maul. Oh yeah, he's got a lightsaber with two sides yeah, to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, who cares about <laughs> this Darth Vader guy with the breathing problems? You got Darth Maul who's red, he's the devil, he's got the two-sided. <laughs> lightsaber and he means violence to anyone who crosses him. He's got little horns on his head. He can do flips. Yeah, I know. How can you go wrong? But all you know about him is there's one scene where it's like, I'm gonna bring in my apprentice, Darth Maul. That's what Darth Sidious says. Uh-huh. Well, and then he dies and that's the end. Like, Yeah, well, there's one scene before that where he gets in a brief tiff with Obi-Wan. And that's the other thing he points out is, why is Obi-Wan just whining and staying on the ship on Naboo in episode one, and Qui-Gon's the one who makes this soft, gentle bond with the young Anakin Skywalker? The whole prequels was a missed opportunity to show like, oh, this is how Anakin Skywalker grew up. This is how he formed a genuine friendship with Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he was just seduced by the dark side of the Force, which, again, as everyone's gonna point out, like, well, that's why these movies were useless because we learn as much in the original Star Wars when Ben Kenobi says, Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force, and Anakin was a good friend. I mean, I was literally about to say the same thing, that like the unfortunate reality is that these prequels were just a huge missed opportunity to really give us more background into these other characters that we already loved. Like, it would have been so easy if you just did a couple more edits and maybe if other people had more creative control instead of just Lucas. Like, it could have been so good. And that's the real sad truth, that it is a missed opportunity. That is a key point these Red Letter Media videos bring to people's attention is, okay, unlike the original trilogy where George Lucas, he had to convince so many people he was onto something and there were so many people who didn't take him seriously who thought, no, this isn't gonna work. And even the people who were on his side were like, no, that idea doesn't work or you really should do this instead. A go-to example I can think of was like C-3PO was supposed to be the oily used car salesman personality instead of like the friendly robotic effeminate butler we all know yeah i mean the fact that there were people there that were challenging his creative vision and helping refine that i think is what helped contribute to the greatness of the original trilogy yeah yeah no and with the prequel trilogy lucas he has all the money in the world he's in full control doing this as an independent non-union operation by that point he just has yes people around him where they laugh too 
too loudly at his jokes. They're all letting him talk about how Jar Jar and the Gungans are like the key to the movie. And there's that one scene they bring up from the making of where Lucas is puzzled because he's in a screening of a rough cut of episode one and they've realized that the climax, the big battle towards the end, makes absolutely no sense because you have four different things going on of different tones. Yeah, it's a jumbled mess. Yeah, you have a silly kid's adventure contrasted with the actual war, contrasted with the boring political mission, contrasted with the actual emotional lightsaber battle. Yeah, there's four different plot lines going at once, and it's just a mess. There's so many tonal beats, and they're all shoved together. But yeah, as you were saying, they were watching the rough cut. Yeah, and Lucas seems to realize this. He's like, oh my god, I made a mistake. And like, okay, so first of all, it's the result of that being all his vision, him being the only person who gets a say in anything. And what he ultimately rationalizes, and everyone else in the room has to rationalize with them is, if you cut one of those plot lines and make things make a little more sense, then the movie doesn't really make complete sense. Because you cut out the scene where Anakin flies up and shoots the not Death Star that destroys the battle droids then you don't have an explanation for why did the battle droid suddenly get defeated and what's Anakin doing the whole time and if you take out the battle droid war or anything like then the political mission with Queen Amidala that doesn't make any sense and if you cut out the lightsaber fight it's gonna make no sense why Obi-Wan ends up taking on Anakin as a Padawan yeah and it comes down to the fact that there was just no one willing to challenge challenge him creatively in his writing or his vision. Like the behind the scenes footage is fascinating. Everyone seems so afraid of him the whole time he's around. You can really see this in the behind the scenes videos. People look scared around George. They laugh at his bad jokes. You're listening to the music. (laughs) (laughs) When he comes into a room, there's like silence and fear, terror. Every so often you'll catch some looks of confusion and mistrust. You gotta wonder what some of these people were thinking. No one seems frightened at all when after episode one happens, he's making episode two, they're already making sets and props and doing all these computer work and he announces three months before filming begins that I finished a first draft of the script Uh. and he even admits he phoned it in in a few parts where he's like, most of the lines just say they fight. Yeah, and then like we as fans, we're all thinking, oh, he's planned this out from the beginning since the very first original movie movie he had a plan all along for how this was gonna go in reality he's still just writing a script three months before production right for example darth vader was not planned to be luke's father that's why obi-wan in the original movie refers to darth vader as darth when logically it would have been anakin right yeah ridiculous shenanigans i think the other thing that red letter media points out aside from the bad decisions by lucas is just Everyone in the movie is really stupid. They don't really (laughs) seem to notice all the things that Palpatine, the character, does behind the scenes to get the Sith 
dark lords in charge of the entire galaxy and the jedi themselves they're supposed to be moral guardians of the peace almost just like a nice religion and they have very firm teachings and that's the impression you get in the right. original trilogy but now they're like political advisors they're pretty much fascists honestly because their enemies are the people who differ from them it's very bizarre <laughs> they enslave the clone army to work for them it just doesn't seem like something a real jedi would do you know yeah and never mind that they're all so weird looking and boring and you finally wonder it's like oh the original trilogy didn't have enough lightsaber battles episode two yeah here are all the fucking lightsaber battles in the world do you see how much this sucks and i remember as a kid watching them and thinking wait so was luke actually a bad jedi because he like loved people <laughs> Right, because Jedis aren't supposed to love. Which was such a weird decision. Yeah, that they're supposed to be celibate. So odd. Oh, gosh. Well, and that's the other thing they screw up, is that Anakin Skywalker, they have to make it so that he's a character we're invested in, we see how he turned to the dark side. And the whole time we see, no, he's emotional, overly impulsive, he whines, he murders sand people, but... Yeah, wasn't I supposed to like this character first? <laughs> I know, and it's like, if you really have to tell that story, then you should see there's a much more cohesive, better way to show it. Just slow down, maybe start just with Obi-Wan finding Anakin and taking him on and showing their bond. Yeah, and I, I have nothing against the, the kid actor who played young Anakin. Like, I know people were horrible to him. But from a storytelling standpoint, like, start when Anakin is just entering training and really, like, go through that training with him, see him develop as a character, rather than, all right, he's a kid, now he's a teenager, we skipped all of the training, all of the development, now he's evil. The end. Right, and he kind of forcibly ends up with Padme Amidala. And by forcibly, I just mean, like, they're both physically attractive, sure, but what real reason do they have to be romantically involved, given the what we know about the plot? Exactly. So I think the real lesson we found with the prequels, thanks to really appreciating the original films, and then seeing these Mr. Plinkett Red Letter Media reviews, is that... Prequels are really bad. They <laughs> dredge up details we don't need to know about characters. There's just more fun and like things that are more open to interpretation where you can use your imagination for what happened instead of being told what happened. But you know, even 10 year old me, I didn't necessarily think of this as a bad thing then. I do now, but it's that you know, okay, these characters who aren't in the original trilogy, they have to die or else it would make no sense. <laughs> That's a good point. How do you become attached to a character that you know is going to die? Right, and Anakin obviously has to do X thing or else it wouldn't make sense or else he doesn't become Darth Vader. And I, I mean, I've seen it described as it's the opposite of suspense. So... Yeah. I mean, I think there is a way to do a film or a show where you, as the viewer, know that a character is going to die, but to make it compelling enough that you really care about those characters, and the prequels did not do that. No, they didn't. But I think, after all we've said about the prequels, and just knowing the original films were something that existed, that brings us to our final step, which is, we had our spiritual awakening 
And we tried to use this message in practice that Star Wars episodes four through six equals good, episodes one through three equals bad. We carry that forward with us as we approach the era of Disney Lucasfilm buyout movies. <sighs> Just exhausted. <laughs> By that point, you can't win. Don't you feel fatigued every time that they say that they're going to do another Star Wars spinoff? I'm like, please, just stop. <laughs> it makes me really question how much of a Star Wars fan I really was to begin with. I love films. I love watching old movies. I've seen every one of the AFI's top 100 American movies. And Star Wars, which they ranked on their 2007 list, number 13... That I recognize as it literally is one of the greatest films ever made because they took the boring sci-fi genre and they mixed it in with Eastern mysticism, American Westerns, philosophy, and that's how you get one of the greatest pieces of art ever made by a single filmmaker. And how do you follow that up? with one of the greatest sequels ever made, The Empire Strikes Back. And then Return of the Jedi, it's like, I have problems with, but it's still <laughs> Return of the Jedi. I, I can live with it. I still it. love that movie. I mean, I know that there's, you know, like the Ewoks that are kind of pandery to kids and stuff, but that one's so nostalgic to me that, like, it can't really touch it, I guess. Yeah, it gets a pass. So... It gets a pass. We'll see it pass. What did you like better, Jedi or The Empire Strikes Back? Empire. Blasphemy. So that leads me to wonder. It's like, okay, I love those as movies, but the cartoons, the books from the expanded universe. Oh, those. I wasn't really that much of a gamer of LucasArts games, and I sure as hell wasn't getting my Star Wars love from the prequels once I became a certain age. And then once Disney came into the picture, we were both, you remember very well how we were actually excited for Episode 7 to come out. Like Yes, we were, how old were, well, like what year was We it? were like 20, I guess. Yeah, 20. So actual grown-ups at that point, or you know young young adults yeah but we were reading all the fan magazines we were sharing the trailer spots we were very careful to avoid specific type of spoilers and we were like we're gonna really enjoy this yeah i was excited i mean you know a lot of their marketing funny enough centered around the fact that they were saying we're not gonna be like the prequels we're gonna use practical effects we're gonna focus on the character like they really wanted you to know these are not the prequels they really did, and that's how we get us into this mindset of I'm sitting there in San Francisco with my friends, like being among the first to see Force Awakens, and I actually come out going, I love this, this is great, and I was in that hypnotic state for like maybe a year because initially my thinking was this is the Star Wars I never got to experience this is what everyone in 1977 got walking into the theater and having this fresh experience and like being brought into this world and even though people were saying this as the movie came out I didn't believe them when they were like no it's just Star Wars they just made it a girl and they added Dude, a scene maybe, here and maybe there maybe I'm like some sort of cynical asshole but like like, I walked out of the theater disappointed, and I was so sad and upset with myself for being disappointed. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Everyone else liked this, and here I am thinking, oh my gosh, it was just kind of a repeat of movies that I already liked. I'm not so into it. I didn't really like the characters very much. They didn't have that same, I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't do it for me. <laughs> no, and it shouldn't have, and I mean, I should have had the same reaction. 
I mean, I I think, you know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion and their own reactions. Like, I know we're talking about whether or not we're true Star Wars fans or not, but one of my really good friends, hello Ryan, he has watched every piece of Star Wars media, loves every single one. We've had like hour-long debates where he has like said which one is the best in his opinion and ranked them all. Like, he loves every single one of them. God bless him. That's all <laughs> I can say. <laughs> I know we have very different opinions, but we we respect each other's opinions at the end of the day. But yeah, I just I felt really disappointed when I saw the the new one, Force Awakens. Well, what really made me think, you know what? I think my love of Star Wars really only goes back to the original films for their filmmaking merits came when first I see in 2016 Rogue One and I didn't even plan on seeing that movie because I kind of knew it was going to be what it was but what happened was my brother who like I'm sure you've met people who are like no I've never been a Star Wars fan but they could at least go oh yeah I know that quote or of course I know those characters I swear you could give my brother probably the most basic quiz of this stuff and he'd be like yeah never heard of it and I really don't want to okay fair enough to each his own but the reason I bring him up is because he did something very nice for me it was the night before my graduation ceremony I was staying with him whereas most people on like the night before they graduate they're gonna get drunk or they're gonna do something like excessive especially like living in a city like san francisco go get lost in golden gate park yeah she's my brother knew that wasn't my scene and he's like hey you like star wars as a surprise, he got me tickets for the opening night to go see Rogue One with his friends. So we go and see that. We had a good time, like, actually going to the movie theater and everything. We see the movie, and I knew this movie that I had previously had no intention of seeing was not supposed to be a Star Wars sequel, but a story that took place in the Star Wars universe. I didn't realize, though, that... Disney was so risk-averse that it's not just a Star Wars science fiction story. It has to be a story that is really just a prequel. It's about how did the Death Star get its one weakness, the thermal exhaust port, and who were the rebels who provided information to the characters we see in the original trilogy. It's vital information. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of bothered me because it's like, okay, it's prequel information we didn't need to know. It shows they're just trying to dredge up familiar stuff. But then I just found the movie so long, boring. I hated that the characters just effortlessly beat up people and kill them. And that's a fact that was later commented in a Mr. Plinkett video a week after I saw the movie. And I just wasn't satisfied. And of course, I appreciated the thought my brother put into this. And the funny thing is, we both kind of fell asleep at different points in the movie. We come out of the theater not liking it. But my brother, upon seeing my reaction, went like, oh, see, I thought this was just like par for course for a Star Wars film. Like, I thought I just was like too much of a hipster to like this or something. <laughs> so we're both like, yeah, no, that was really bad. And then when The Last Jedi came out. That one's very polarizing, even for the fans. Yeah, no, I see it with my friend Miles, who I hope to bring on sometime. But he had already seen it. He's like, I think you're gonna like it. Like, he even bought my ticket for me because I said we'd see this movie together. We're gonna see it together. And my reaction was, what a mess. Yeah, you know, I actually, out of the three newest movies, like the new trilogy, I don't know what we call it anymore, but out of those, I liked that one the best because at least it took some risks. 
I think the other ones play it so safe and try to appeal to like the lowest common denominator of what a Star Wars fan would be that I kind of liked the risks they took with the characters. I was very disappointed that they went and undid literally every bit of that in the final one. Yeah, and, and again, in fairness, I'm aware that the common consensus among fans is prequels bad, originals the best, Force Awakens was a cheap imitation of the original Star Wars film, but Rogue One and Last Jedi were the very best, and those were movies worth ranking up. Oh no, some people hate The Last Jedi. <laughs> So, right, and to be clear, I'm not internet troll level of hate. Oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. I, I, I just thought, like, yeah, I'm not really into the characters. I see the familiar staples of, like, fan service. I thought the plot was just, like, all over the place. I wasn't really enjoying it. I liked the fact that Ray was, like, a nobody, because I think that's actually, that really would have helped the franchise in that anyone can have power and come from nowhere and be a powerful Jedi. Like, that's really cool and opens up the story to other characters characters, that kind of thing, but then they went and undid all of that, so kind of pointless. Yeah, well, I will never touch Rise of Skywalker with a 10-foot pole. Wait, did you not see it? Nope, I never even saw it, and I had oh no incentive to. Oh my gosh, you never to. saw it? Don't you want closure? <laughs> not after hearing this scene-by-scene scene recap from my friend Miles, who made it clear that this should not even be a movie. It was borderline unwatchable. I mean, like, having seen it, I guess I can agree with Miles. Right, well, and that, that begs the question, why would I want to watch a movie that anyone who sees it is going to admit, yeah, it was pretty unwatchable. I did it for closure, to be honest. I was like, I think this is the last Star Wars movie that I'm ever going to watch. So I'm just going to go and watch it and see what happens. And I was disappointed, but like, <laughs> I wanted that closure, I guess. Well, it sounded like there was a problem when it's like the opening crawl says, Palpatine has actually been alive this entire time. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, that was the plan all along. And it's like, no, no, it really, it really was not. I mean, when you look at what was going on behind the scenes with the different writers and directors and all of that mess, there's no way that there was a coherent plan for this trilogy. And it totally shows. Right, and so this is something that's brought up when Mr. Plinkett, Red Letter Media, finally reviewed The Force Awakens. These movies are made by committee. Yeah. And what it led to is fans actually defending the prequels. One, the reason Red Letter Media suggests is just so that we can justify the use of prequel merchandise in today's age. But I think what's really going on is that people preferred that level of bad versus Disney being Mr. Play It Safe. And when they're not rehashing old plots is just making unwatchable movies. Uh-huh. I think people, especially people our age, have been pandered to long enough to realize when we're being pandered to, and it doesn't sit well, and it doesn't cause us to be loyal to that merchandise or that brand in the same way that it used to. Like, I think the metamorphosis from us being kids to now, it's been that realization of I was being pandered to as a child. I'm now rejecting that. I want media that's new and different and takes risks and isn't there just to make me like it. George Lucas had said when he's first making public comments about episode 7 in 2016, he pointed out that this is a problem in how movies are made now. 
making movies, it's just gambling. You're telling a young, hungry director, here's a bunch of chips, go to these tables, and come back with more than what we gave you. But he's saying now, these studios, if we're using this gambling metaphor, they're giving chips to the director gambler, and they're being like, okay, here are the chips, but only go to those tables, and only bet on red and this type of number, because we have the data that says that does really well in our demographic test market. Yeah, like, I think there was a really good example of that with the Han Solo movie, where they had directors that were going to pursue the movie in their own creative vision, have a lot of humor in it, make it different than the other Star Wars movies, and then all of a sudden, I think it's Kathleen Kennedy, or it was, you know. She, yeah, no, it was Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, she's was... like, hold on, hold on, hold on. What are you guys doing? This isn't Star Wars. This is something different. We don't want that. Our fans won't like things that are different. We gotta rein this back in. Yeah, and Lawrence Kasdan, the screenwriter of that film, who was also the screenwriter of Empire Strikes Back, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the original directors of Solo, they didn't really like that he's on the set playing ghost director and getting pissy with them because they decided to do extra takes or kind of improvise with his dialogue. Well, and I mean, how frustrating would that be to be a creative director or writer and then have some guy in a suit following you around saying, oh, well, you know, the company won't like that. We have to change that. That would be really frustrating. Right, and that's why they bring in Ron Howard, so. Mm-hmm. The main thing that the Plinkett videos brought up, it's also a viewpoint I defend, is the only thing good I can really say about the prequels, it's not what the clickbait article said about the world. <laughs> yeah, well, you remember. Okay, so actually, yes. I'll give some context. Is in the episode 7 Force Awakens Red Letter Media Review, they really shit on these people on the internet who made these clickbait articles about seven reasons are not so bad. Yeah, this is why the Star Wars prequels weren't as bad as you think, or they were actually better than you remember. And there's no actual logic or substance to these lists. They're just saying, like, look how cool this scene looks, or the there are all these lightsabers. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but his point is, it's like, okay, aside from John Williams' brilliant musical scores, I think the other good things you could point out is like, okay, Emperor Palpatine, slightly interesting character because he has emotion, he has a goal, he has a drive, and it's carried throughout three films. Good on that. And then also, Ewan McGregor is a really good actor and even though Obi-Wan yes. isn't the best written character in the prequels his acting is still enough to make you want to go along with it he does what he can with what he has are you a train spotting fan you know it's one of those movies that I've had in my watch list for like two years and I think about watching it and then I don't watch it so I should okay huh? please watch it it's one of my very favorite movies and it's amazing to think that he went from that in 1996 to being whatever the hell Obi-Wan does in <laughs> Only 1999 like three talking later. about midichlorians <laughs> midichlorians we didn't even touch that well midichlorians they sound like mitochondria that's my theory I think that's why they're called that they're not good either way. No, no, they're really not. I think this whole podcast has like become kind of a like a recommendation to go watch Red Letter Media or at least to consume like critical video essays on YouTube. Yeah, please do. I mean, it's a really good art form when they're done in a creative and mostly good faith form. 
we digress so hard, but what we were saying is the one objective good thing that the Star Wars prequels has over the Disney films, other than what we just said, is that they're different movies. They have their own unique stories. They go from telling a story about political strife and finding the young boy who might be this very special Jedi they were looking for the whole time to another movie about his training and the ensuing war that follows and then the third movie being about what makes that young innocent boy with the good Jedi power turn to the worst of evil people. And however badly those characters are handled, you have to admit there is a set beginning and a set end point to that arc. In the new movies, there's really no character arc. It's just like, we get going and then we stop, and then we get going and we stop. And like, you don't see like an actual change in any of the characters that makes sense when you look back at what else has happened to them. Yeah, and I think it's a problem that they didn't have a single person who was controlling the narrative flow of those sequel movies. Because yeah. it's one thing if they want a different director and writer on them, because the original Star Wars movies did. George Lucas only wrote and directed the first one. Just someone there for consistency to go through the script and be like, all right, well, that doesn't make sense because that happened in the last movie and that like directly contradicts what's happening now. Right. And it goes from like, okay, we're going to make this first one, the episode seven, Star Wars again. The second one, Ryan Johnson, it's going to use little of what we've set up in episode seven. Then they decide, okay, episode nine, we don't like this Jurassic World director anymore. He's gone. Let's just get J.J. Abrams again. And we're going to undo even more stuff. It's like, how frustrating was it for a person who's seen all three of those movies to go, okay, the bad guy? move over Darth Vader, move over Emperor Palpatine. It's Snoke. Snoke Just forget now. Snoke. Well, not even that. I mean, you said you didn't watch the third one, so maybe you don't know. No, I do know. It's that he's just, he wasn't even real, right? Yeah, he's just some, like, puppet that Palpatine was using, but that wasn't foreshadowed in the other two, so why should I, as a viewer, even care? And before you know that, in episode eight, they decide, hey, remember how he was the big villain? He's the person who's driving people evil? Well, let's just kill him. It ends on such a down note. I mean, that's what life is, a series of down endings. And I think because Star Wars exists in so many different eras, people can do whatever they want. If they want to just be like me and stick to the original films and kind of make a concession towards Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, they can do that. If they want to yeah, go you like... you have the freedom to make that choice as a fan. There's no wrong right. choice. Yeah, or they can go back and go like, no, I actually like the prequels, and I like to think that happened before all those events. And if they really want to be a masochist, they can be like, I want to also act like everything you saw from episode 7 through 9, those are the sequels to the original movies. And I guess if they really hated all things film, they could say Han Solo's backstory movie, where we have to learn why he's called Solo and how he met Chewie. That happened too. The ultimate conclusion is realizing that at the end of the day you have a choice to make what kind of fan you want to be and what media you want to consume and what is going to be nostalgic for you very well said and while i might roll my eyes on seeing the theme park attractions or like the oversaturation of action figures these days I just see it for what it is, and I'd much rather voice my frustrations in a fun medium like this than scream into um, the void. going to Twitter and like harassing the filmmakers or oh, yeah. doing all that awful stuff those people do. 
I doubt we really need to put in a PSA about this, but like going and harassing the people who were part of the films, even if they're the ones who even wrote it or directed it, it's just so stupid and messed up and lame. Yeah, d don't do that. And I think that's also a piece that makes me resent the cultural powerhouse of Star Wars. The yeah, like why would I want to be considered part of a fandom that goes and attacks people? It's what it is, and we have to see, with COVID really affecting how movies are made right now, and the lukewarm reception to outright negative reception some of the last few Star Wars films have had, I really am curious what direction the franchise is going to take, and whether it can truly make a piece of property that is loved in the same way the very best was. That will be really interesting to see. And then I wanted to ask you, because you, you brought it up a little while ago. Sure. So, do you consider yourself a Star Wars fan? That is a good question. It's something I danced around earlier. I'd say yes, because so long as every May 4th, I have to text someone like you, may the 4th be with you. <laughs> the fact that I'm friends with someone like you or my friend Miles, because we both love those moments of the rebels destroying the Death Star, Han Solo's one-liners, R2-D2 and C-3PO, and we'll laugh if we see a t-shirt that's related to the Star Wars universe. Or I used to have this poster my brother got for me, which is Chewbacca on a beach, wearing sunglasses and carrying a surfboard mm -hmm. and it's just like crass marketing but i'm like that's funny that's awesome and the fact that i kept something this is also a gift from my brother one of the last kenner produced action figures of chewbacca i think it's a tie-in to episode six and the fact that I consider that a prized item because it was made before the toy company went out of business. And I see all this Star Wars imagery and think, this is really cool? Yeah, I'm a Star Wars fan. Even if I don't care about Expanded Universe or the Clone Wars TV show. And I don't think I'm even going to watch The Mandalorian, but I hear it's good. Yeah, I hear it's good too. Everyone go check it out. But like, yeah, I, I haven't seen it. I think those original movies hold such a special place in my childhood that I'll always consider myself a Star Wars fan, even if Star Wars has evolved to be something very different than it once was. In the sense that I really love movies, it's like, yeah, I like Star Wars, I like Empire Strikes Back, but I also like 2001 A Space Odyssey, A Clockwork Orange, Terminator 1 and 2, The Matrix, Blade Runner. Yeah, it ties into that type of media for you. And I think it's funny that like Disney's whole thing is when you consume a piece of media as a child and it becomes something special and nostalgic to you, you will be a fan your whole life and therefore you will consume that media going forward and the merchandise related to it. The fact that they have now done that and botched it so badly for any new children and fans, it's kind of ironic. <laughs> I think Disney, they need to go back to their roots, to be honest. Making original, engaging content for children would be a nice right. return to form. Right, and so this is the big thing you learned growing up in the era of the Star Wars prequels is we once knew a time when things ended, but now we don't. Boom. <laughs> That's perfect. That is such a good ending to this conversation. Yeah, and life goes on. We can still relish in the things we do love. And I don't know, at this point, all I gotta say to people is, may the Schwartz be with you. I hate it when I get my Schwartz twisted.
Thank you so much to Alyssa for being an awesome co-host. She will be back. We've already plotted our next few episodes together, so can't wait for that. I also wanted to give a shout out to my other college Star Wars friends, Skylar, Franny, John, Peter, Jarek, Drew, Shelby, and I owe a big thanks to my friend Blake, who was the person who introduced me to the Mr. Plinkett videos in the first place my freshman year. Also, shout out to my longtime friend Miles, who watched Rise of Skywalker for me, so I wouldn't have to. I'm going to take a break for the Thanksgiving holiday, and I'll be back before the end of the year. You can also leave a message on my Anchor profile, which I'm going to leave in the show notes. Anyway, happy Turkey Day. (laughs) 